Navarro is under siege by pirates. He's asking for help. Why are you really here? They're about to blow Navarro to hell. Then call in a strike. We don't even have ships. Corson doesn't care. Carga's your friend. You won't let him die. What's in it for you? The New Republic has to know that the Empire is growing again. And you think the Pirate King has something to do with it? <sighs> I can't say for sure. But something doesn't smell right. Look, it's not your fight. I just came to tell you your friend is in danger. And I thought you should know. Once again, Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the 199th Pirate Popping episode of Mandovision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. We're so glad you're here. Remember, to respite, the best way to reach out to us is, of course, on social media at Mando underscore Vision. Twitter and Instagram. Email the show, MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. How is everyone doing? Happy Star Wars Wednesday. Uh, and it's a big Star Wars Wednesday today. Another new episode of The Mandalorian Chapter 5 is out. And that's what we're here to talk about right now. Uh, and then we'll be back uh, with a pretty quick turnaround, I would imagine, uh, if everything holds the way I think it will, uh, to, to come back and discuss uh, the two-episode finale, season two finale for Star Wars The Bad Batch. Uh, really big episodes this week for, for both shows. Uh, the Bad Batch... In particular, because the season finale uh, it kind of brings everything to a head for what they've been doing, but we'll talk about more about that later on in our in our subsequent next episode. Uh, today we're focused on uh, the Mandalorian, which is another episode where you know it's the, the, this season of the Mandalorian. I feel like has become uh, insanely divisive am, amongst people. You know, I mentioned last time how you know some people seem to get really upset with the runtime on the episodes. You know how the kind of the waxes and wanes. Some are some are really long. Some are too short by their opinions, um, and it's it's. In, in, aside from that, I mean, people are sort of going back and forth about this about the content, the the story they're telling this season. Um, there's a lot of table setting. There's a lot of, of putting the pieces into place because this story, this season of of the, of the Mandalorian story, uh, has pulled back the the lens. Right, we're seeing the galaxy as in a, in a bigger context than we had in the first two seasons, you know? By and large, season one's and two, one and two, one's and two, uh, one and two with The Mandalorian, you know, a smaller scale, smaller, tighter focus on our, our titular hero for the show and his journey with Grogu. Uh, but now, in this season, we're, we're again, we're pulling that camera back. We're, we're taking a step back to see what the galaxy at large looks like. Uh, and that has allowed, that has, well, I, I shouldn't say allowed, but like, because... We're now incorpor incorporating more elements of the Star Wars galaxy at large. There's a bit of, of, of setting the pieces that has to be done, right? You know, not every single person who's watching The Mandalorian has, has paid attention to every little facet and detail of uh, Star Wars canon and lore of the years, you know? By and large, people still haven't gone back and watched Star Wars The Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels to see how, thing, how those shows... Uh, have sort of forecasted what's coming up in this show. 
Um, so there, there's a little bit of, of setting required, right, of, of, of kind of getting everything on the table and putting it out there so that the like, audiences aren't baffled by what they're seeing, right? You've got to kind of reset the table, and they have to do it. it it's, it's not an easy task, I would imagine. The task that, that John Favreau and Dave Filoni and the rest of the creatives behind The Mandalorian have is, is to give us all these elements, uh, representing them to, to the hardcore fans, uh, but making them accessible to the new fans, who, you know, trying to make them feel like they don't have to know every little single thing that's gone on uh, in, in comics and graphic novels and, and, and animated series in the past. So I think there's a lot of, you know, complaining about that. And, uh, you know, everyone is entitled to their opinion. And if they're not enjoying the show, they're not enjoying the show. And there's not a lot that I can say about that to persuade them. If they're, they're kind of cashing out, they're kind of cashing out. And, and, the, and that's their prerogative. But I do think they're missing out because I do think that all of this is going to pay off very, very nicely in the final three episodes of the season because big things are afoot if you're paying attention, if you're watching the details. You know, a lot of times, you know, the word that gets thrown around on the Internet is like another, another filler episode, quote unquote. No, no, no. No, no, no. It's all going to land. It, it, whether it lands successfully or not, again, we can determine at the end of the season. But they're putting the pieces into place for something big. And you either have to go along with the journey or you just you cash out, right? You know, maybe you liked The Mandalorian when it was, uh, um, you know, more Western-inspired, you know, more of a, of sort of a, of a, of a standard serial, right? Uh, and, and more tightly focused on The Mandalorian working his way through this post-Return of the Jedi version of the Star Wars galaxy. Um, but, you know, they have decided to, re to, to integrate more closely to the galaxy at large, to tell, to sort of connect with the greater, grander Star Wars mythology. Uh, and I think it's an interesting way to do it, to, to sort of talk about the post-Return of the Jedi uh, uh, the fledgling New Republic era uh, through the eyes of, of these Mandalorians who were outcasts and, and, and scattered and hidden throughout much of the time of the Rebellion, throughout much of the time in the battle against the Empire. Um, and I, I think we need to give that a little bit of breathing room. Now, by and large, if you were listening to this podcast, you and I are probably on the same page. We're, we're in for a penny, in for a pound. We are here for the ride. We want to see the journey land. And we want to see where our heroes and our our favorite bucket-headed culture ends up at the end of this episode. Or, I'm sorry, at the end of this season, because a lot of big things have been teased. But we are also looking at the Star Wars galaxy as a whole, because it seems like we are setting up the table for the rise of the First Order as well. You know, this season has, has been documenting the, the, the incredible lack of functionality in the new republic already and and it would be it would be irresponsible <laughs> of of Filoni and Favreau just to pretend like they shouldn't be putting some of the pieces into place for the rise of the first order the rise of Snoke I would imagine as well uh, which we'll probably talk about later on in this episode of the show so Again, if, if you're a fan of this podcast, if you are a member of Buckethead Nation, I suspect we're all on the same page. But if you have any concerns, if you have any questions, you know how to reach out to me. I'd love to hear your, your opinion on where we're going with the show. Are you, are you still enjoying this season of The Mandalorian as much as you did one and two? I think that's ultimately the real question. Or, or have, has things changed? Because I know a lot of people out there, we talked about it a little bit last week, they, they, they're having a hard time going back to the world, to the galaxy, to the to the time frame, to the uh, 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 flavor of the Mandalorian after watching the Andor series, which was you know, a stark contrast to the way this show is is filmed, shot, and, and tells its stories. So I'm definitely curious how you're all feeling about these things. Uh, if you, if you go on the internet and, and you see the sort of wide <laughs> wide array of opinions and thoughts on the, on this season. Uh, you know, a, a Collider put out an article about why the Mandalorian doesn't feel important anymore. Um, and I say hogwash to that. It's hogwash, it's poppycock, it's balderdash. Uh, the Mandalorian is just as important. Uh, you, as an audience member, just need to sort of 
well, I shouldn't. I, I don't want to come out and attack the person who wrote that article. Uh, the, their opinion is valid for them. I just disagree with it. But yes, indeed, I will reiterate it is poppycock, it is balderdash, it is hogwash. All right, let's talk about this week's episode. Enough of me rambling on and on and on about the internet. Good Lord. Who thought I'd have to spend 10 minutes opening a podcast <laughs> telling people to be wary of the internet? Oh, well. As if we didn't know that already. This week, Star Wars The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 5, Chapter 21, The Pirate. Original air date March 29th, 2023. Written by everyone's good friend John Favreau. Directed by Peter Ramsey. Our plot this week. The people of Navarro need protection from rampant pirate attacks. I'm not sure how rampant it is. It's really just one big one. One big one that does a lot of uh, uh, bad things to it. Our cast this week, Pedro Pascal is the Mandalorian, along with Latif Crowder and Brendan Wayne. Katie Sackhoff is Bo-Katan Kreese. Carl Weathers as Grieve Karga. Paul Sun-Hung Lee returns as Captain Carson Teva. Katie Ann O'Brien returns as Elia Kane. Tim Meadows is Colonel Tuttle. Emily Swallow is the armorer. And we get Gory and Shard, once again voiced by the great uh, Nunzu Anuzi, whose voice is just so distinctive and so lovely. Welcome back to the fold. Steve Bloom as Zeb Aurelius, the live-action debut of Zeb. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. We also get cameos from uh, Mandalorian alumni, the directors themselves, Deborah Chow, Rick Famuyua, Dave Filoni as Sash Ketter, Jib Dodger, and Trapper Wolf. Remember, they played X-Wing pilots back in Season 1. They get the cameo in this a little bit, too. And you also get Tate Fletcher as Paz Vizsla, bringing his big, bearing presence once again to the screen. Oh, boy. All right, so let's go ahead. Let's talk about this episode. But you know what we have to do first. In case, you know, in case you're not a Children of the Watch member, in case, which means you have your bucket on all the time, uh, it, it is that time for us to strap on our buckets. Let's go. The question we should be asking ourselves is why? Why should we lay our lives down yet again? Because we are Mandalorians. I have had my disagreements with this man, but he risked his life to save my son. And Bo-Katan Kreese did not give up on my child's life, even when the rest of us did. These two are asking us to take up arms in the name of a brighter future. And I, for one, will take up arms to fight by their side. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Come on, don't tell me that and get your blood pumping when he says, we are Mandalorians. Come on, that's what we're here for, right? That's what we're here for. Give it to us. Give us that moment. Anyways, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. This episode, we open back on Navarro, Grief Karga, the high administrator of Navarro, doing high administrating things. He's meeting with the civil engineers. They're doing some stuff. They're planning the future. They're laying the groundwork for a bigger, better Navarro. Now, oh, when the ominous presence of, of Pirate King Gorian Shard's ship, which we saw back in the first episode of this season, uh, enters above the city and, um, yeah, issues demands to Grieve Karga, a former partner or perhaps employee of Gorian Shard at some point. It sounds like from their history that Grief Karga contact, contra- contracted with Gorian Shard for the funds he needed to acquire uh, Navarro. Because you know, they talked about the pirate treasure that they had back in the day and how Karga used his cut to get the planet, blah, 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 all these things, right? So like their history is established. The, the sort of interesting thing I asked myself about this was because, again, this was all set up. We're, this episode's paying off a lot of things that were set up in the very first episode of season one this year. I'm sorry, of, season, of episode one this season. Uh, what, why exactly did, did Gorian Shard take so long to sort of put his uh, – to, to, to bring, bring into spring into action, right? You know, you have to imagine there's been a, a good, a decent amount of time between what transpired in episode one of the season to here in episode five. And the only thing I could come up with, the only thing I sort of wondered, and again, this is one of the questions. Maybe it's not 
maybe I'm thinking too hard on things. Maybe I'm looking a bit, a bit, uh, I'm going deeper than maybe I should. But like Captain uh, Carson Tava suggests to us is that perhaps there is a connection between the the pirate activity uh, and and this sort of resurgent empire that we might be seeing, right? Uh, And and sort of what I came away was, well, maybe he was waiting for orders to begin this bombardment. Perhaps there is someone pulling some strings, as we've been hinting, as we've been alluding to, and that Gorian Shard is part of this plot as well in, in ways that we don't quite fathom at this moment. So regardless of all that, though, uh, a, a bombardment begins the planet. The citizens of, of Navarro scatter. They evacuate the city. Uh, Grief Karga leads them uh, out into like, the lava flats uh, where they can uh, uh, wait out the siege by the pirates, right, who are now going to take over their city and turn it into, into uh, Tortuga from Pirates of the Caribbean. And, uh, you know, hey, it's Disney, right? What, what's a, you know, why can't, have, why can't we have a Star Wars version of Pirates of the Caribbean, I guess, right? Uh, but Grief does not evacuate the city before he's able to dispatch, dispatch a message to, Carson Cap, uh, to Captain Carson Teva of the New Republic. And, you know, we've, met, we've seen Ca- uh, Captain Teva a couple different times now throughout The Mandalorian. We saw him in the trailer for the season. We knew his return was imminent. Uh, and he seems to be one of the few guys paying attention to what's going on in the Outer Rim. And despite his concerns, the New Republic seems to not take it very, very seriously. Uh, as we cut to, as we meet up with Carson Teva, we, we go to a New Republic base on a very uh, scenic, tropical world. <laughs> X-Wings, Y-Wings, A-Wings, all of them just hanging around. They're doing their business. Uh, and we go into a, um, a New Republic air base, essentially. Uh, and it's... it's um, <laughs> it's sort of Star Wars version of, of Top Gun in this thing, you know? The, the pilots are hanging around, they're, they're shooting the equivalent of pool, they're playing cards, they're drinking at the bar with the, with the, with the Snivian server. Uh, and, and Teva himself has the classic, like, like leather bomber jacket, right? Like, I, I'm trying to think if we've seen something similar to this in Star Wars before. And the closest I can think of it was Poe's leather jacket, but he doesn't wear it, like, over his X-Wing suit, at least not to my recollection, um, but I thought it was an interesting kind of uh, a, a note for for the, for this airbase. You know, it, you know, kind of ringing true to Lucas's inspiration of World War II films that he injected into into the original Star Wars trilogy. Uh, so so kind of fun to see Carson Teva in that that bomber jacket. This is also the sequence where we see uh, uh, our, our directors Dave Filoni, Deborah Chow, and Rick Famuyiwa kind of cameo in the foreground of some shots. It's also where we get the live-action debut, as we discussed earlier, of Garazeb Aurelius himself, our favorite Lasat from the Rebels crew, uh, making his live-action debut, once again voiced by Stephen Bloom. And uh, that was quite the treat. What a, what, a, what, a, what a wonderful surprise that was. And a, a, a sort of another reminder that, okay, in case you didn't know, the cast of Rebels is coming into live-action, and it looks like Zeb will just be part of that as well. Uh, and this is maybe sort of a, a, our first effort uh, at at getting Zeb on the screen in in, in a real way, uh, because you have to imagine he's going to be part of the the Ahsoka show as well when when that takes off later this year. So a really nice treat to see him. The only rub I had with it was, you know, <sighs> Zeb was a big bad character who you know is used to being in the rebellion, but it seems like maybe he softened in his time since the end of the war, right? Because I feel like the old Zeb would have gone with Teva, and they would have gone on a bombing run themselves. But instead, they're, they're, they're mired in protocol and following proper procedure, uh, you know, requesting aid, requesting air support for, uh, to defend Navarro, to attack these pirates. Um, and, and I guess it just bums me out. Again, it's, it's sort of like we're seeing that, that layer of, of, of bureaucracy that the New Republic has in it already at this point. Uh, where, where you know, these X-Wing pilots at an airbase, sort of like a forward base, in a sense, because they're there on the rim, they could spring into action. They could do something about these pirates right now, especially if that was their charter, you know, to defend the spaceways from the pirates. Uh, instead, you know, Zeb sort of dissuades him from, from going through proper channels uh, because they haven't been responding to requests for aid for weeks on end, as Zeb tells us. So Carson Teva takes it upon himself. He's going to go to Coruscant directly. 
which again, I'm nitpicking. I'm not going to lie. It's a nitpick. But it feels like a huge waste of time. <laughs> you know, sometimes we we are susceptible to using like hyperspace as sort of like this blink and you're there kind of way of transportation. Uh, but it's not. Flying through hyperspace from the outer rim of the galaxy to the near center of the galaxy takes time. And a lot of time at that. So again, they're, they're, they're wasting time going back to, to Coruscant when... The, Honestly, they could probably just do whatever they wanted on the, on the on the outer rim because the New Republic has no idea what's going on in, in any sector of its space, it sounds like. You know, there, there's another line, I, th- I think it's earlier, when uh, Karga is bluffing and saying that, uh, oh, the, we're, we're part of the New Republic. There'll be there'll be ships here before you know it. This is a bad idea for you. You've got to get out of here. And and and, and uh, Gorian Shard laughs at him and he says the New Republic can't even protect the mid rim worlds. What, you know what's what's it go, what's it going to do to the outer rim? Uh, and he he says specifically they can't protect the mid rim worlds from pirate nation. All right, so pirate attacks are on the increase throughout New Republic space. So the idea that these former re- members of the Rebel Alliance, you know, again there was protocols and and, and a command structure in place and things like that. But a lot of times the rebels did what the rebels had to do. They, they sprang to action and they defended those who needed defending from the Empire, from pirates, from whatever. Uh, so the fact that, that, that both Zeb and Teva and, and everyone else in that base, basically, is just like, nah, we're just going to wait for orders, kind of bums me out. But in the long run, it does sort of show more of that bureaucratic nonsense that the New Republic is already mired in. That's already showing its cracks about how this this new government is is doomed for failure. And it gets even worse once Teva gets to Coruscant and he meets with uh, Colonel Tuttle, uh, who seems like a complete pencil-pushing bureaucrat. <laughs> Maybe was at one time a big shot caller in the, in the rebellion, you know? Uh, and I, I do sort of... I, I did really enjoy seeing Tim Meadows play this role. Uh, Tim Meadows is, is such... He has such mid-management level energy <laughs> that it feels really it, – it just felt right for him to be this, this sort of like a pencil-pushing administrator as opposed to like, you know what, now is the time we spring into action. No, 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 that's, that's not Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows is like, yeah, that's going to be a problem. That's who Tim Meadows is. That's kind of his wheelhouse right now. Uh, and, and, again, he gets very much influenced by uh, – in his office, we've, we run into Elia Kane, the, the you know, uh, amnestied imperial operative formerly working for Moff Gideon, though, wink, wink, probably still is. <laughs> and she dissuades any action on Navarro because Navarro never signed the paperwork. They didn't sign the charter. They're not part of the New Republic. So, again, the, 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 the cracks in the New Republic, the cracks in this government are, are, are just widening with every single day. No, no small part is probably being helped along by these imperial agents who I believe are in place throughout the New Republic government uh, that, are, that are helping to widen these cracks. Because, again, instead of doing what's right, they're like, mm, no, they're on their own. Sorry, they didn't sign the charter, blah, blah, blah. It's uh, unfortunate. It echoes a lot of real-world things, of course. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that the government is sort of useless and and and, and ineffective also mirrors real life in far too many ways that I'd really rather not think about. (laughs) And, you know, I think perhaps as a tease, this is something we'll discuss more uh, after the Mandalorian wraps up this season. I would sort of really like to dive into it. We'll get one of our our podcasting friends on the show and sort of talk about just how ineffective the New Republic is because it would be uh, a fascinating conversation, I think especially in, in context with the sequel trilogy that takes place down the road. Um, but regardless of all that, I, I also sort of wonder, because, again, they alluded to it in Episode 3, where we sort of caught up with what the goings-ons and Coruscant and Dr. Pershing, you know, in the, in the decommissioning of the, the, the Rebel fleet initially, or, or, or as it may be known now, the New Republic fleet, right? Like, they, it's peacetime. They think they've won. It's over. There's no conflict going on in the galaxy. So are there really the resources there to even do these things? It doesn't seem like it. It's, it seems like the New Republic has put um, the cart in front of the horse, if you will. Do people still use that expression? Probably not, but uh, Google it if you're not familiar with it. So 
they've got they've gotten a little ahead of themselves is all I'm trying to say here. So they 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 think the the empire's over. They think the galaxy's secured, uh, but instead because they're spread so far, they're, they're spread so thin. Not only is their empire not gone, and 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 you know we're possibly seeing the, the early gestation period of the first order, but but pirate nation is running rampant throughout the galaxy. You know there's there's probably a crazy amounts of, of, of Star Wars underworld activity, crime lords, syndicates, all the all the trappings of the Star Wars underworld uh, are probably thriving right now with zero New Republic oversight. And the threat of the Empire is completely gone. I mean, you know, in, in one sense, Palpatine sort of like fostered the Star Wars underworld in, in a sense, but the Empire always sort of loomed as like this hammer that could come down on them whenever it served Palpatine's purposes too. Uh, that's all gone. These criminals get to run, are, are basically running roughshod of the galaxy now because the the tyranny is over, right? And they got these uh, these soft, <laughs> these super soft uh, uh, rebels who are just like, you know, these bleeding hearts. I suppose is, is maybe the word you want to say it. And the the no one's scared of them <laughs> at all. That the New Republic is a government without teeth. The Empire had teeth. Uh, so the idea that, that, that pirate nations running rampant across the galaxy is, is fascinating to me and something that I'm really, really into. So Teva takes it upon himself to, to find some support for Navarro. He obviously can't do anything. His hands are tied. He won't get directly involved. Uh, so he's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my, uh, my bucket-headed friend, Din Djarin, and I'm going to persuade him to go help his buddy, Grief Karga, and the people of Navarro. Uh, and, and then, so again, this is another little nitpick of the episode because how does Tava know that R5D4 is with the Mandalorians? Is he just like, he just sends it like a broad distress message over old rebellion comm channels and, and R5D4 is, oh yeah, like here we are, come find me. Let's check it out. These guys can help. I, you know, it's, 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 it's convenient. There's a lot of kind of conveniences in the early parts of this episode to kind of make the story move forward. I will allow it because I'm here for the ride. I'm here for the journey. But it was sort of interesting that R5-D4, now in possession of Din Djarin, uh, <laughs> rats him out to a, to a former <laughs> a former master, a former partner, a former colleague. They, Teva says they worked together in the Rebellion. Though it would have been an interesting moment, right, had after Teva drops that revelation that uh, a former rebel uh, soldier is in their ranks and, like, what if, if – um, one of the Mandalorians were to unmask and we find out that it's like somebody that we know from the Clone Wars or Rebels or something else. That would have been like, whoa, whoa, crazy, crazy. But no, no, they just go the R5-D4 route and that's perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable. And I love that R5-D4 is still part of the show. So that makes me happy in so many, many ways. But you heard the audio clip. We included it in here. Uh, Teva sort of, I don't know if he's like manipulating necessarily, but he knows that he can sort of poke Din Djarin into action, right? Get the Mandalorians to do something. Uh, I did like how, as he's leaving, though, he he will he, he says, hey, listen, I found your covert, but I'm not going to tell anybody, don't worry about it, even though I know you're going to leave. You got my word. Uh, I, did, I did sort of like that little touch to it, sort of uh, showing some respect to the Mandalorians, uh, uh, people that probably haven't gotten a ton of respect over like the last two or three decades uh, by the other people of the galaxy. So that was a nice touch. But this leads to the big meeting, right? What Will the Mandalorians spring into action? Uh, Din tells them about the offer that, that, that Grief Karga made to him, the huge tract of land uh, that you know, Din is now thinking like, hey, if we do this, Grief will give us this land and this could be our home. No more hiding in caves, no more hiding in sewers. Uh, it's, this could be a pivotal, pivotal moment for our people moving forward. Uh, and then it's Paz Vizsla's turn to speak, and he starts off very much making it sound like he is against this. He is against helping Grief Karga. He was there. He fought against Karga and the bounty hunters who were after Din and Grogu. Uh, and which, by the way, Grogu, not a big part in this episode. He's there. He's present. Not a lot going on there for him. The little one gets a few little uh, uh, shots on the camera, but it, by and large, Grogu's sidelined in this episode. He, he's in the action. He's with Din in the, in the cockpit of the N1. But not a lot of didn't uh, not a lot of Grogu stuff here, so so Paz is giving his big speech, and then he and then it turns and then it it turns, and he reminds these people because it it's, it seems like the Mandalorians of the covert see with eye to eye with him that this is not their fight they shouldn't be involved in this, Karga has been against them in the past, all these things, 
And then Paz Vizsla drops the, because we are Mandalorians. And I like that moment a lot. It really got the blood pumping. It got me fired up. I, I strapped my bucket on even harder at that one because I was like, yeah, I want to go fight some fools too. And then I realized it was midnight in San Diego and there's no fools to fight, but that's okay. Bucket was still <laughs> ready for anything. <laughs> but that's our sort of our moment, right? And then it becomes a very action-driven episode from that point forward. So this action sequence, this, this uh, battle on Navarro uh, takes up a big chunk of the episode and it's 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 great stuff. It's really good good action, really well directed, uh, fun sequences. Great to see the Mandalorians in action on the ground in the air. I watch. I love watching them deploy from Bo-Katan's ship. I, I love seeing them on the streets of Navarro, engaged in combat. Just seeing those those sweet 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 T-shaped visors around every corner, blasting pirates, trying to liberate the people that are still in the city. Uh, the, the lizard monkeys helping making them aware of ambushes. Uh, I liked all these all these little touches in the, in the episode. All, uh, I thought that sequence in particular was fantastic. Uh, as they've been doing in this entire season, the aerial combat is stellar. It's insanely well shot, well directed. Uh, with the N1 in particular, you really feel the speed of that ship more so than I think we ever have before. And, and I love seeing it cut across the sky now. It, it's become like a really, really cool... Uh, bit of Star Wars magic now. You know, I just love seeing that ship in action. Uh, and and so with Bo and Din running air support, we get our t- a big chunk of time with the Mandalorians on the ground. It, we get, the armorer gets in in the action, trying to clear out a Grief Karga's office where they've uh, held up position and, and started blasting people with, with heavy-duty uh, cannons. Uh, it, it, again, it's a, it's a great sequence. The Anzellians are... Watching from their their little their little uh, workshop, it's 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 chock full of great stuff. And then you have, you know, you're cutting that in with more stuff from Gorian Shard, and uh, we see the return of Vane, who survived in the first episode and, and will eventually survive in this episode as well. So you know, we're seeing a lot of things kind of shake out during this battle that 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 lingered from the first episode. Uh, I I can't say enough about it. It's good stuff. It's it's high quality action. It's it's Mandalorian brand action uh it, it's totally accurate to everything they've done before but it sort of ups the stakes right because we get to see the mandalorians in action like this is sort of you know they sort of rose to the occasion to help din and grogu escape in in uh episode three of season one but since then you know the mandalorians have been been low-key particularly the covert the covert mandalorians have been very very low-key they're trying to rally their forces gather their strength do all that stuff uh, but now we see them in action, and it's again, it's just really cool, and they're pretty darn effective fighters, and I, it just got my blood pumping, just seeing, again, I'm I'm still, I, I'm still thrilled when I see live action Mandalorians in, engaging in combat. Like this is this is the stuff I dreamed about for twenty plus years, so just to have it happening now is awesome. I I'm, I, I can't wait. It, it makes me so happy every time it comes on the screen. And I can't wait to see more of it and how they raise the stakes because that's what this episode's setting up. You know, we talked about how this is putting the pieces into place and how a lot of this season thus far. Now, again, we're five chapters into an eight-chapter season, so maybe it feels like a lot of, of, of table setting. But I, I think they've done a pretty darn good job of setting the table and telling interesting stories at the same time. You know, uh, uh, people on the internet seem to be disagreeing with that assessment but I think they're wrong, <laughs> and I'll just say it right now. I think they're wrong. Uh, I think they're being impatient. I think they're being massively impatient, and we're going to get the payoffs that we, we, we think we are deserving of down the road. And I, I say that with mock derision because we, we don't deserve Star Wars shows at, at all. <laughs> like, let's be honest. <laughs> we're getting these because we are in an insanely fortunate period of time where we are lucky enough to have these things happen for us and to, and to get to, to – get to, uh, be entertained by them. And it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have any of this stuff. So let's not get too entitled here with what we think we deserve as far as Star Wars shows go. All right? Just, again, just a little personal. I was injecting a little bit of my personal opinion on things on that one. All right? But now let's go to the aftermath of the battle. The day has been won. The people of Navarro have rejoiced. They, uh, Grief Karga welcomes the Mandalorians. He welcomes the covert to that massive tract of land he's giving them. 
saying that even if they don't no longer have a home planet, they have a home here on Navarro. It's a great moment. And again, the people of Navarro seem really stoked to have Mandalorians around because, again, let's talk about it. As High Administrator, you know, we talked, we heard in the first episode of the season, he, uh, uh, he lost his marshal. Cara Dune got called into the special ops on the New Republic. Feels like he would have wanted to fill that vacancy sooner, come up with some sort of planetary protection for Navarro. Obviously, he knew Grief was aware of his past. He sort of suspected these pirates would have come knocking at some point or another. Getting some sort of, I don't know, defense in place probably would have been a higher priority for me. It is what it is. But now he's got Mandalorians on the planet. And if that's not a, a deterrent to pirates and raiders and, and anybody else who may come, come knocking, Imperial Remnant, knock, knock, knock. I tried to do that on the wood, but... You know, but now he's got Mandalorian, so he's good to go. <laughs> uh, Paz Vizsla tracks down Bo-Katan Kryze, who has been steadfast in, her, in, in, in following the way, because uh, the armorer has summoned her. And so Paz leads Bo-Katan down into the sewers, down to the old forge, you know, where we first sort of came into contact with the Covert ourselves as an audience back in season one. Uh, and they begin to have a conversation, an interesting one, and the armorer, tells Bo-Katan to remove her helmet. And Bo-Katan is wary at first. Like, wait, I just got this thing back on. Now you want me to take it off? And, and you know, the armorer asks, like, do you not respect my position? Uh, and, and so reluctantly, Bo-Katan removes her helmet. And they begin to have a very, very interesting chat. I'm going to play a stretch of it right now because this is setting up, in, in a big, bad way, what is to come. And it doesn't... I'll be honest, I had some... You know, we, we, we sort of talked a little bit about what may come between the armor, between Bo-Katan, what's next for the Covert. Let's go ahead and play the scene. And, and you know, it's, it's not what it's not what we sort of speculated about. Or is it? A little bit of both. Right and wrong in some aspects. But let's go ahead and play it. Here we go. I was taught that the Mythosaur existed only in legends. And yet... You saw it. It is a sign that the next age is upon us. Mandalore must all come together. You have walked both worlds. You are the one who can unite us. So big time decision from the armorer to put Bo-Katan in this position. Now, I do still think Bo-Katan has worked very, very hard to put herself in this position as well. Uh, and it's sort of a, a little bit of a 180 from last episode when the armor seemed sort of uh, dismissive of the notion that Bo-Katan had seen the Mythosaur. And we sort of wondered, you know, or I sort of put out there that, you know, is this going to be a, a, a question of faith for Bo-Katan? Was it an actual vision? Did she actually see what, what she thought? Or is this something to, to test her faith in, 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 in following the way, and following the creed, right? Um, it sounds like maybe I'm, we're not going to get that deep of an exploration on those, on those uh, particular uh, 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 themes at this, at this moment in time, as it seems more clear-cut now that perhaps after some time, the armorer has decided that, oh, no, she's probably telling me the truth, and I was just being super dismissive because I've always thought these were just legends. But... I think the armor, as badly as anybody else, wants this next age to be here, wants to see Mandalore rise again. And now the armor believes that Bo-Katan is the one because she can walk between the two worlds. She's followed the way, and she's also got the ear of the other Mandalorians as well, the non-helmeted, the non-creed following. But the armor now believes that all Mandalore has to come together because the time is ripe to retake the planet. So everyone has to come together, whether you follow the way or not. Now... It'll be interesting to see how this shakes out with the different ideologies in play or if there will be some sort of uneasy truce between them. Like if you walk the way, you just have your helmet on. And if you don't walk the way, you're still a Mandalorian. We're still cool. How's that going to play out? How's that going to process? I would imagine there'll be some ideological clashing at first. Um, but it's very, very exciting stuff. Now... <laughs> I, I want to play uh, the last little bit from the episode. 
because I, I don't know if you guys were thinking what I was thinking, but I'll tell you what I was thinking after I play the clip. Hang on. Though before I do play it, I do like this sequence, right? Bo-Katan with her helmet under her arms, now walking through the crowd of Mandalorians that she just went into combat with, and they definitely seem to be judging. <laughs> and she definitely seems to be nervous to be unhelmeted amongst them. Uh, but the armor is here to provide clarity on what exactly is happening. So let's, here it is. Check it out. Bo-Katan Kryze is going off to bring other Mandalorians in exile to us so that we may join together once again. But she shows her face. Bo-Katan walks both worlds. And she can bring all tribes together. Time to retake Mandalore. All right, so if you think that's pretty intense, you're right. It is. Pretty intense stuff right there. Great job with, uh, with by... Uh, uh, by John Shirley on the score on this one. Like the, the music is phenomenal in this episode. Really, 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 really liked it. Especially the, the way it up-tempos there at the very end to emphasize the dramatic effects of what the, what the armor just told us all about. The time to retake Mandalore. And again, this is exactly what Bo-Katan has wanted the entire time. I, st I, I still have my questions. I still have my concerns about Bo-Katan. But it was sort of funny, like, I don't know if you guys were in the same shoes I was in as I'm watching as the armor and Bo make their way to her ship through the crowd, through the Mandalorians themselves. Now with Bo unhelmeted, if they were just going to walk up to Din Djarin and demand uh, combat for possession of the Darksaber right then and there. I was very interested to see if that was going to happen. Um, and... and <laughs> Uh, you know we're putting we're putting our, ourselves out there, right? Let's if you go back a million years ago to the end of, of season two, when Din Djarin got the dark saber, I put out there that I thought Din would be the one to be able to walk between two worlds because he had unhelmeted himself, and I thought that'd be a thing moving forward. They obviously reversed course on that, making him apostate, making him, uh, 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 you know, renew the, his vows to the creed. Uh, and, and become helmeted all the time once again. So I don't know. There's still a chance that I'm, you know, maybe right on this because, because I, I think Din Djarin's going to have something to say about the situation because, again, I still think Bo-Katan maybe isn't on the up and up about everything. I don't know, though. So are we – because, again, are we setting up who, – who's our hero on this show? I, I guess is the question that I have to ask. Is it Din Djarin or is it Bo-Katan Kreese? Love Bo-Katan, but Bo-Katan is a flawed character with a lot of baggage. And we've talked a little bit about it, and maybe maybe it's time to kind of re— I think we'll get a chance to sort of reconnect with Bo's baggage as we shift back into re-watching Star Wars The Clone Wars later this spring. But it does feel like these characters will inevitably become, come into conflict at some point, uh, whether it's about the Darksaber or not. Um, and Bo-Katan is a cunning warrior. I do not, I do not doubt that she could— defeat Din Djarin in hand-to-hand -hand combat, uh, in any sort of combat. And again, we saw it earlier. Bo-Katan wields the Darksaber like a champ, and Din Djarin wields the lightsaber like a chump. But if our, if our character... Uh, again, there's a lot of ways this could go, and, and, and predicting things and speculating is fun to a degree. Because again, we could see the rise of the Mandalorian people, and then Din Djarin walks away from all of it. Gives him the dark saber and it's like, you know what? I'm gonna go back to being a bounty hunter. I'm gonna go solo. Me and Grogu, we're gonna do our thing. And he just walks away from all of it. There's a lot of different ways this could go because that that sort of follows our Western motif. That follows the way of a lot of samurai pictures, where like the hero leaves at the end and just goes on his, the the rest of his journey. Be, stays a wanderer. Stays uh, the 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 character that goes from town to town helping the people. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of stuff to come 
for sure. Because <laughs> as far as I know, there's no end game uh, in, in sight for The Mandalorian. The word is that season four is written already. Uh, I've not heard that season four will be the finale. So I think there's more to come. I think the show is excellent. And I love this episode. I love what we're setting up. And I, just, I guess I just think that Bo and, and, and Din are, are bound to be in conflict at some point. We shall see. But what do you think? Is 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 is? I know a, there's a faction of the internet that is big believers in, in Bo-Katan's uh, right to rule. I think she's had her time. It didn't go well. <laughs> but what do you all think? Is Bo-Katan the one meant to rule the people of Mandalore, to bring the people together uh, and, and, and move them forward? Or is it Din? Is it Din, the man who doesn't want the burden, the responsibility, the pressure of being the leader? Is he the one who's the perfect leader because of that? Um, so, so that's what I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see, are we going to see sort of a revelation between, with Bo-Katan kind of, kind of revealing her true colors here, uh, in, in a sense, again, not that I don't think Bo's a great character and on the side of right in a lot of things, but I think there's a lot of gray with Bo and, and we'll, we'll see how this shakes out. I'm really excited by what they are setting up moving forward. Now let's get to the big moment like the almost the equivalent of a of an after credit scene of a post credit scene for the Mandalorian, and that is uh, Carson Teva patrolling the spaceways, coming across the the, the remains of a Lambda class shuttle uh, that was transporting a specific prisoner. Hang on, let's play the clip. Oh, before I play the clip though, really quickly though, I do like that uh, Teva's uh, astromech has like a little little probe droid port. I thought that was really kind of cool. Uh, the way they shoot the scene, maybe I'm nuts. It sort of reminds me of, of uh, the boat scene from Jaws a little bit when they enter, the, you know, when uh, when Richard Dreyfuss' character enters the boat and they they find the, the dead old guy whose name I'm blanking on right now. And I know Jaws inside and out. I can't remember his name. Ben? Is it Ben Carson? Something like that, I think. I don't know. Kind of reminds me of that, the way this scene's shot because, again, it's, it's the hull of this Lambda-class shuttle's cracked open the bodies of the Republic troopers inside are frozen. They're just kind of floating there. Um, but let's go ahead and play the clip. I'll be damned. Flight times match the ship transporting Moff Gideon. I knew it. You never made it to trial. There don't appear to be any survivors. And Moff Gideon's body is missing. This was an extraction. Well, who were the perpetrators? Scanning. I'm only seeing the remains of the flight crew. There appears to be something embedded in the cabin wall. Getting close on that. It's a fragment of Beskar alloy. Are you saying that Moff Gideon was taken by Mandalorians? Bonk, bonk. That's the law and order noise, just FYI. Uh, so the drama, right? Was Moff Gideon liberated by Mandalorians? We know that Casca Reeves is out there with the, with the, with the fleet that they stole in season two. Uh, or are other things afoot? Do, do, do members of the Imperial Remnant have Mandalorians in their employ? As Bo-Katan told us back in the beginning of this season, the you know her former forces, the Night Owls, working as mercenaries across the galaxy right now. There's a lot to kind of unpack with this. A lot going on in this episode. Big time awesomeness. I, I love that little cliffhanger at the end because, again, Bo-Katan's out there. She's supposed to bring these people together. But it sounds like maybe there's some Mandalorians out there that uh, aren't going to be all that interested in coming back to the tribe. Maybe they found some steady employment that they're pretty happy with in the employ of the Empire, perhaps, or, you know, maybe there's another, just another faction of, of big, bad Mandalorians out there that we have been thus far unaware of that are out there pulling strings in a way that we didn't suspect either. Um, there could be some big things coming up, and I don't, again, we, we speculated a lot already. I, I, I kind of want to, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole with this particular one, because I think there's going to be some, some really neat stuff coming up in these next three episodes. Um, Again, I like this episode. It's it's kind of got some knocks on it online already. Uh, there, I mean, there's nits to pick. There's always a nit, a nit or two to pick. I, you know, I shared some of mine with you all on this, but uh, just 
solid episode of the show. I really like the way you move things forward. I love the action sequences. The aerial combat's fantastic. You know, there's it's a little slow at the beginning as as, as, as it seems like like Teva is is wasting some time going from the outer rim to the new to Coruscant and back again. But you know, whatever. That's sort of like a plot convenience, I suppose, just to make things happen. But I, I, I it's eight buckets for me. I'm 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 digging this show. I'm digging the season, and I can't wait to see what's next. They're building to something big time, and it's gonna be super awesome. Stay, stay, fr- stay with it, man. If you're watching the show, stay patient. Don't don't get upset with it. I know I know I'm talking to people who aren't even listening to this podcast because everyone in Buckethead Nation, I feel like we're all on the same page. But if we're not, you know where to find me. Reach out. It is at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter, Instagram. Email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Another reminder to make sure you are liking, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. Another way to support the show, a great way to support the show, sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews. They help the small independent shows like us stand out, not get lost in the shuffle. Uh, Star Wars Nation on, in, the, in the podcasting sphere is, is massively huge. And, and all of us smaller independent shows, uh, well, we, we thank you in advance for all the support you can give us. It means the best things are yet to come because we get to keep making podcasts. And that's the important part, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think that's going to be everything. I think I got it all out. Um, yeah, nothing nothing left on my list to really really cover here. But I'm so excited for what's coming next. Now, next week, next Wednesday, can't get here soon enough. Uh, and reminder that we will be back very, very soon. Like I said, for probably a very quick turnaround to cover the two-part finale of Season 2 of Star Wars The Bad Batch. That was an intense episode as well. And I can't wait to talk to you about all about that next. All right, so we'll be back very, very soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. My name is Tom, and this is the Mandivision Podcast. Again, Nargai Tom. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Remember, this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.